You obviously know Kung Fu. This is Benny the Jet, teacher, actor, stunt coordinator, and you are listening to Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> Joining me this morning, a legendary name in the martial arts world, both on and off the screen, uh, an eye-popping record of 200-0, in kickboxing with 57 KOs, founder of Yukitokan Karate, one half of one of the best martial arts fights ever put on screen. Uh, he's an author, he's an instructor, he's a motivational speaker, he's a stunt coordinator, so much more. Uh, he's a man who is truly connected to this world uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually, Sensei Benny, the Jet Yukita. Sensei Benny, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving Podcast today. My pleasure. It's good to be here. <laughs> it is such an honor to have you because uh, not many people on this planet are, are able to say that they were such an influential part of the formative years for an entire generation of martial arts fans. <laughs> Do you realize how blessed you are and how much you've given to us fans? Well, you know, I definitely, uh, when I get up, I count my blessings for, for the day because I'm one of the in-the-moment type of guys, you know, and I live for the day only. And if my eyes open up tomorrow, I'm truly blessed. Definitely, definitely. And uh, like I said, you, you have gifted us fans with so much. Uh, and one of the things that I want to talk to you about, uh, particularly about growing up, uh, in recent years, there's a there's a meme that's gone around that Chuck Norris is the toughest guy in the world. <laughs> and it's been fun to see, but I, I would argue that you have as much, if not more, claim to fame for that title because you basically grew up with boxing gloves on and you had to hone your skills uh, in the gym but on the streets as well. Uh, would it be fair to say that for better or for worse, you're kind of a born warrior, a born fighter. Well, you know what? Uh, I'll just put it this way. I came in this world, you know, as a warrior. And believe it or not, I've always felt since I was 14 years old, I took my first title. And I always thought I was a better teacher than a fighter. The fighting is just something I can do. The teaching I love doing. Wow. Now, speaking of that, you were a black belt at 14 years old. And that was unheard of. In that time, I mean, they had to make up uh, a title for you, right? I think it was called a junior black belt. Well, what happened is uh, in the '60s, you know, it, you were uh, it was unheard of to even uh, talk about testing until you were uh, 18 years old or over. And what happened is, I was uh, going to the tournaments, and a lot of the parents were complaining. I was uh, making their, you know, their their sons cry, and I'd. <laughs> Because I was already, you know, I hit him with a body shot, and they they start crying. So uh, they used uh, the parents used to complain that they didn't want their kids to fight me. And so finally, uh, Mr. Parker and 27 other black belts decided, okay, that they'll test me. So they gave they gave me a three day test. I I tested uh, for my black belt, and I I passed it. And so they all kicked me. I was excited. Then my brother kicked me and actually uh, put me in the hospital because he was so upset. And um, everybody was mad at my brother while that he broke my ribs for kicking me so hard. And he was upset that I broke tradition 
But so when I went to the international tournament to fight, I went to the 14-year-olds and I had my black butt on. I was feeling all good. And they said, no, you're over there with them. And, and I said, no, 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 I'm 14. This is my, my area. He said, no, you're a showdown. You're a black belt. Go over there. And I'm looking at Skipper Mullins, Chuck Norris, uh, Joe Lewis. <laughs> I'm looking at all these, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. I said, I'm 14 years old. They're saying, no, you're a black belt. So I got my tail between my legs, and I'm walking over toward them. And so they're all, you know, they're, like, patting me in the head and this and that. You know, okay, don't worry, little kid, this and that. So I, I beat the tournament. I beat them. Wow. And then the next time I went to the tournament, I was still a cute kid, and then I beat them again. And the next time, they, I had this one person, uh, Skipper Moore, came right next to me, and he says, so, I'm going to show you what it feels like to be a black belt. I said, okay, now I know. Here it comes. <laughs> I'm no longer the cute kid, you know. Um, yes, they, now they're looking at me just as a black belt, as a showdown, and they're not looking at me as a little kid. Now they're saying, okay. I'm gonna fight you just like I fight any other black belt, and I won. But I tell you, I tell you what, I was so fast, I was scared. If they hit me, they would have broke me in half. Man, I was between their legs. I was all over the place. <laughs> because of that, they actually prepared me for full contact karate. I mean, they really in the '60s. I mean, there was you know concrete and wood. I mean, and you were throwing and slamming and stomping on on concrete and wood, and and that's how I grew up competing. Wow. Now, uh, what style of martial arts did you actually study first? And why did you go the martial arts route instead of going with, say, say traditional boxing? Well, you know, it's um, my my oldest brother, Arnold, he used to say, quit with that la fufu stuff. <laughs> and because I, I like hard styles and like soft styles. I liked them. I liked all the styles. And, you know, my first discipline, obviously, with boxing. And I started competing at five years of boxing and um, so I started in 60s I started judo and I was competing in judo and then 60 uh, and 63 I started Kenpo Karate then my brother my oldest brothers uh, they started doing Shotokan uh, hard style so I went into the hard style and I still kept the soft style uh, Kenpo and still doing judo and so forth and then I went into uh, Lima Lama, which is uh, you know a different type of style, and then I started with uh, with uh, Birazaki. It was a Hawaiian uh, kempo, but when I started with Mr. Parker here, it was American uh, kempo, and so I, I just liked it so many styles. But my brother, you know, he thought that uh, I wasn't faithful to the art because you didn't intermix right. martial arts in the sixties. You did one or the other, and you know you were faithful to it. And I mean. I was faithful to all of them. It's just I loved them. I loved the hard, soft. I loved different mixed styles and stuff like that. Plus, uh, I started doing gymnastics and not really. I mean, I just started watching people flipping this and that. So I started flipping and and my mom couldn't control me. She said, man, <laughs> I, was just, I was just all over the place and, you know, jumping off the TVs and so forth. And uh, I, I really was just ahead of my time. When I came into this world, uh, the fighting was just something I can do. It was it was a natural thing I can do. Yeah. And so by the time I was 14, I had uh, a very big gym. It was like almost 10,000 square feet gym. This gentleman that owned up in uh, Sunland Tahanga, he owned all this big mall, this uh, about four or five blocks of stores. And 
I was teaching his, his uh, kid. And so he opened up a school for me at, at 14 years old. And I had, I mean, it was a beautiful school. And only because I was a good teacher. And at night, it would become the disco dojo at night. And then at uh, daytime, it was uh, simple. Uh, I was teaching the arts. Wow, wow. Now, with your family so involved in fighting, I mean, your dad was a boxer, your mom was a wrestler, your siblings, all accomplished fighters. There, <laughs> there's nine black belts in my family. Yeah. yeah, there's nine black belts in my family, four champions in my family. That's incredible. Now, was there ever a point in your life where you didn't uh, want to be involved in fighting? You know what? Even if I didn't, it was just in me. Yeah. I mean, because you got to, uh, when I was 14, I already had a reputation. By the time I was 15, people from different cities would come and challenge me. And so I used to make money in the streets, you know. Uh, now, $100 back then was a lot of money. Sure. And so they would come put $100 down and, you know, uh, winner, you know, winner will take it. And so I made my money for a while when I was 15, 16 years old, making money in the streets. So when I wasn't competing. So you uh, pioneered uh, Fight Club and mixed martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, to, to tell you the truth, uh, I, I, I like fighting. I like the fact that I was already a showman. Mm -hmm. And then with my family, we would work with a lot of uh, high-risk kids and so forth. And we would actually do exhibitions and so forth. And, and we were very good at it. My whole family, we were all great at uh, doing exhibitions and stuff like that. We just knew how to capture the audience's emotions back then. So you can say I was a stunt guy. I was a stunt boy back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you say that uh, I was born with it, I, I really did. I came in this world with it because everything, when it came to the art of war, it seemed so natural for me. Wow. And uh, I want to touch on that. Uh, we'll talk about the movie stuff uh, a little bit later. But before that, uh, we were joking about pioneering MMA, but you actually really did pioneer full contact karate in the U.S. Well, you know, uh, like I said, uh, up until 73, I started to box. And then they, my brother said, you want to do full contact karate? And I said, what's that? He said, well, this is karate to the knockout. And I said, I won't get disqualified. And they said, no, this is to the knockout. And I kept on thinking, I won't get disqualified. <laughs> and so we went to Hawaii, and it was martial arts from all over the world. And so in that, when I first fought the first tournament, this was Saturday. There was, I can't remember, uh, two, three hundred people showed up um, fighting. It was like eliminations, no weight divisions, no rolls. So I fought seven times on Saturday. I, I, the first guy I knocked down. Hey, and he couldn't get back up. I said, okay. And I'm looking at the judges thinking, okay, they're going to disqualify me now. <laughs> and they raised my hand. And I said, all right. Hey, I didn't get disqualified. So I realized that I can actually go full contact on these guys. And and so I stopped seven of them in the, on Saturday. And then on Sunday, uh, I fought Bernice White, who was a Marine champion. I stopped him. And then blinking. I told my brother-in-law, if you don't stop him, you're not going to win because they don't want they don't want to see you and me fight. They want to see David and Goliath fight, right. you know. And so my brother-in-law did. He lost. So I, I ended up fighting uh, Dana Goodson. And this guy, I'm looking at his chest, and I said, okay, this guy's pretty big. So he thought I was going to run from him. I ran right at him like a leech sucking on his blood. And so I ended up stopping him. I ended up stopping him in the fourth round. And... Um, that was my first title. Wow. You know, before, what made me really want to get that title 
is in in 64 I saw Bruce Lee at the international tournament and he was talking about a four inch punch with and and he was talking about where all this energy came from and my mother my mother being American Indian she used to tell me all about this internal power and this and that I never understood my mother and my father was very external. He was very, you know, I would go in the living room and he'd be watching TV and he, I'd sit down next to me, slap me in the back of the head, look at this. <laughs> so my father, my father was very physical. My mother would come and I would go in the kitchen. My mom would hold on to me and tell me that that's how my, my father shows his love that sure. way. So I had internal and external, man, the best of both of them. <laughs> and so when my mother used to tell me about this internal power, I never understood, and one day when I was at the Nationals, watching Bruce Lee talk about the four-inch punch where he drives his energy, and he and, and four, there was four feet behind him, there was a chair, and this guy was like 250 pounds holding a, a, a metal plate on his chest, and Bruce had his fingers on it, and he went, whoa, and hit this metal plate, drew this guy four feet back onto the chair, went flying over, yeah. I was sitting down with my legs crossed. I jumped up. I said, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, and so I told my brother, Arnold, can I spar with him? And he said, I don't have enough experience. And he said, when you have enough experience, you can. So I, I, went, I ended up beating the tournament. Okay, well, he, I kept on beating every tournament there was. Just so, and I told my brother, can I spar with him now? He said, you don't have enough experience. <laughs> so I started boxing. I started boxing, and I was going to go professional. So I was boxing with Bobby Chicon and so forth, and um, preparing him for his fighting. So I wanted to go boxing. So I figured if I take the title in boxing, I'll get a chance to spar with him. Yeah. And then full contact already came in. And that's when I asked my brother, what does that mean? And so I went to Hawaii, and my brother, my brother, younger brother Adam and uh, – uh, Blicky went, and so my brother lost, and then and I ended up taking that tournament. By the way, uh, I beat Dana Goodson, stopped him, and so I took the title, the World Series of Martial Arts, no rules, no weight divisions, no nothing. So I ended up going to my brother, came back, and I said, "Now can I? Now can I spar with them?" <laughs> and he and he said, "You don't have enough." So I ended up there. We had all these people for it was the Elvis Presley team. They were looking for the best to represent United States. And so I went on that, and there was five of us, and I was the smallest and the youngest. So we ended up in Germany, and we ended up in, uh, you know, different uh, places in Belgium and so forth. And everybody kept on saying, oh, you got to watch out for this guy, Lemons. Uh, he's the best, and this and this. And so I'm the smallest and the youngest. And I said, so they're trying to figure out who's going to fight him. I said, I'll fight him. <laughs> And they said, so they looked at me and they said, okay, well, he'll be the sacrifice lamb. I destroyed him. Wow. I went out there and I really, I beat Lemons. And uh, the, my first kick, I kicked him in the legs. He went down. And I went over there and I rubbed his legs because I didn't want it to stop. So I rubbed <laughs> his legs and everybody was laughing. And I didn't even know, you know, what they're laughing about. All I, I didn't want it to stop. So I came back home and I told my brother, can I spar with him? He says, you don't have enough experience. <laughs> uh, by the time I came back from Hawaii and so forth, I hold titles, so European titles. I hold, you know, the, these titles. I'm undefeated. And then he passed away. Yeah. Then he died. So you never got that chance. I never had a chance to spar with him. 
Uh, and so I ended up teaching his daughter, you know, Shannon Lee, yeah. and got her ready for uh, her first movies. And uh, he inspired me to go out there and fight anybody and everybody there was. And so I held a full contact karate title all the way up until nine uh, until uh, seventy five, and then the word kickboxing was born. Mm. And so everybody was talking about full contact karate, and they say like like you're you're boxing and then you're kicking with your legs. So the word kickboxing was born in in seventy uh, in seventy five seventy six, and I wrote the first kickboxing book in seventy eight, and went around the world teaching the world kickboxing, yeah. introducing kickboxing because uh, they all knew Muay Thai. My brother told me you know, I was a world title holder, and I said, "Well, I haven't been outside the United States fighting." And they said, you want to fight outside? I said, yeah, you want to call me world champion? Mm. So they brought this first Muay Thai fighter from Thailand. And they said, you want to fight Muay Thai? I said, yeah, I'll fight him. I, I thought that was his name. <laughs> I, I had no idea. No, nobody, I mean, who heard about Muay Thai? Sure. I said, what was that? So uh, they brought the first Muay Thai fighter here. And so I ended up um, fighting the Muay Thai fighter. And in the, in that, in the ninth round, a big riot started on and on and on. So um, after that, uh, they wanted to know who is this American, you know, American just won this Thai fighter. And so I ended up in Japan uh, fighting uh, Japanese, but they kept on saying, I had to wear shorts. And I said, I don't wear shorts. I said, I wear long pants. I'm a martial artist. And they said, no, you have to wear shorts. And I said, then I'm not fighting. So they figured I was going to get knocked out anyway. And so I ended up uh, beating Suzuki and knocked, uh, took their title, Japanese title. And so they brought me right back in three months. I ended up fighting. Uh, they brought this retired champion, this undefeated. And I ended up uh, fighting him, and I knocked him out. And the rest is history. So I went around the world uh, introducing kickboxing to the world. Wow. Now that Muay Thai uh, fight, how hard or, or easy was it to adjust and adapt to that new fighting style well let me put it this way where he was doing he was doing his prayer you know they do more they do the prayer before they start i never seen that before so i'm in the corner you know rocking to his music you know and because i never saw that so the thai people thinking i'm making fun of him and i didn't know what he was doing right and so this guy came out uh, he acted like he was shooting an arrow at me and i smiled and put thumbs up and this guy's man, he was pissed. He was mad. <laughs> and when the bell rang, now I've been, I've had Charlie horses before, but I've never had anybody try to break my legs. Right. And this is the first time I've inter ever in introduced thigh kicks. And this guy kicked me in the leg so hard, my eyes bulged out of my forehead. <laughs> I said, "Whoa!" So after the first round, I told my brother. What do I do? He said, "Kick him back." I said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I went back and I kicked this guy so hard and he picked up and he late checked me oh that hurt it worse oh yeah i said oh my god man and i told my brother i said my eyes are burning i said this guy i don't know what it is but he smells bad my eyes are burning and so i see in the corner they're spraying something on his on his shins but it was burning my eyes you know back then there was no rules and so he started you know he started grabbing me and he started uh, moving me, throwing me around and kneeing me. He, so once he got me in a neck, a neck clinch, I, I had no idea. So I told my brother, what do I do? He said, don't let him grab you. I said, great. <laughs> and then, so I mean, this is my brother. I had no idea. He'd never seen it either. Sure. We'd never seen this type of fighting before. And 
And so I'm a high jumper. I can, I mean, I can jump pretty high from, from a standing position. I can jump seven feet high. I mean, that's how high I'm, I'm jumping. So I'm jumping over this guy's legs. And so I'm a good judo man. So every time he clinched me, I didn't know what to do. So I picked him up and I just threw him right on his head. Right. I mean, I just kept throwing him. And so all the Thai people are getting pissed. <laughs> They're getting mad that I'm throwing this guy because they'd never seen him. They'd never seen that before. And, uh, and Americans here never seen thigh kicks, elbows, and knees. We never seen that before. Right. And so in the ninth round, a big riot started. And so this was the first time I was introduced to thigh kicking. And after that, I created shin guards and so forth yeah. to to practice thigh kicking and so forth. And I created my system, Yukito-kan. Mm -hmm. um, after I wrote the first book, and that was uh, in 78 uh, that I wrote the uh, first kickboxing book. And it was kind of curriculum showing you how to kickbox so I can pass it to the world. And third world countries, they were using my book as a, as a kickboxing Bible. And they were, and you, they can only use it under the ground. You couldn't, you know, because uh, it was, I mean, there was still communism and, uh, you know, uh, dictatorship under there. So you couldn't actually do um, uh, sparring or, or actually uh, doing martial arts uh, above, you know. So when I say underground, they were hidden and hiding uh, when they were doing it. Well, okay, so let's touch on Yukito-kan because it's the style that you founded. You developed this whole system. What is the foundation and the philosophy behind Yukito-kan? First of all, Yukito-kan means a way of life. Mm -hmm. And when it means a way of life, I opened up a gym in 80, the biggest fighting gym in the world, to create a place where Yukito-kan, I can introduce it to the world. And Yukito-kan meant a, a way of life because there was nine different styles that were in Yukito-kan because I recognized in the street, there is no rules. Oh, absolutely. I've been in the street already. I understand what kind of pressure, what kind of, you know, threats there is in the street. You know, I've been in knife fights and so forth when I was younger. So this, this Thai guy brought me to the streets because there was no rules. When he was elbowing me, kneeing me to the face, and I realized, okay, this guy is doing something that brought me to the streets. And I wanted to know what it was. And what it was is he brought a style of, uh, of warfare I've never seen. So after I looked at it, I started creating with all, all my, uh, uh, I had nine black belts and nine different styles of martial arts. Right. And I started taking each of the style and I started using and modifying it to make it work under pressure. Because I recognized... Uh, you know, they used to tell me when I used to do spinning wheel kicks and this and that, whip kicks and crescent kicks, they said, uh, be careful with it because you, you can kill somebody with it. And when I was hitting these guys, they were still standing looking at me, coming at me. And I said, okay, well, I guess there's no truth to that because I had beautiful kicks. And so I started modifying them. And I started modifying them for combat. So I created the, uh, the system, Yukito-kan, meaning a way of life because there was no rules sure. and you cannot allow emotions into your focus of what you're doing. Uh, and every time you're threatened, everything you hide under your bed in your closet comes up. Your anger, your fear, your frustration, your anxieties, they all come up when you're threatened. And that's why I created Yukito-kan to train under a threat. So that way, when you're in the streets, when you're threatened, you're, you're used to it, and you're not afraid of it, and you won't run from it, and you'll learn 
truly how to protect yourself. That's what I call self-defense. From going uh, to a system in the streets where there are no rules to uh, going to the movies, as a legitimate fighter and a martial artist, were you ever reluctant to get involved in what essentially is fake fighting on screen? Well, you know what what had happened is uh, I had a student that was an actor, and he asked me to come on the set. And so I went I went on the set, and I mean, this is the first time I, I don't know anything about that. And so sure. I'm standing in front of a camera, and so I'm watching everybody doing whatever. So I started loosening up a little bit just to take the kinks out because you know, I was getting tired of standing. So I started just moving around a little bit, and so the director says, okay, you – and, and I'm, he's pointing at me, and I said, yeah. And he said, go over there, work with him, put something together. So I said, okay. Well, I went over <laughs> to this guy and introduced myself, and I choreographed a little something, and we did something, and uh, we showed it to him. He said, I love it. Okay, you do that, and this and that, and they'll do this. And so my student came and said, what are you doing? I said, well, that guy over there told me, he said, that's the director. And I said, well, he told me to do something with him, so I created something with him. He said, really? He said, do it. He said, that's great. And so the next day, they, they told me uh, to come back the, the following day to continue, and that's how I started my the, the, the career in, into the movie industry. It just happened to be standing in the, in the right place, at, not knowing where, because he didn't tell me where to stand or where to be. So... The director just seemed to to like my face, and um, I guess I, I had a certain character look that he really liked about me. And, and when it came to do stunt works and all that, I was already good with it because of all the exhibitions I'd done with my family. We, you know, right. uh, you know, uh, doing exhibitions with um, with my family, and right. that's right. how that all started. Now, your first film was Force Five, right? Uh, it was called Down the Drain, my first one. And that's the one I was talking about. It was called Down the Drain. And then the second one, actually, I co-starred in Force 5. Yeah. Richard Norton was a guest on the show, and he had fond memories from that movie. What was the camaraderie like on that set? Because that's a lot of really top-notch martial arts talent all collected there. Uh, I tell you what, we had a blast. Yeah. We had, we, you know what, to, to tell you the truth, I didn't even know... To me, that was not work at all. I was just in, a, I was just in playing. I was like in a playground, just playing, doing what I love doing, and uh, I couldn't believe that they were that uh, that I was getting paid for that. <laughs> you know, when that, when I got paid, I said, "What is this for?" They said, "For you know, hey, that that's your paycheck." I said, "For what?" He said, "For doing what you're doing." I said, "Really? We're getting paid for this?" I said, "Man, I did, I just I would just you know." Having a good time doing this for you know, I had no idea uh, about the film industry. I, I was I was blinded by the fact that uh, that it was work to me. It yeah. was just play. I was just playing. I was just having. An, I was just having a lot of fun. <laughs> and you got to say lines like "stick it up your pachaca." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was uh, it it was a way for me to express. Just, you know, what I know from the streets to be true. I took everything, all my experience from the street of emotions being threatened from the streets and, you know, making my money uh, when people come and challenge me and so forth. So I kind of already knew what kind of uh, how to be in front of 
uh, audience, I'm in front of live people because because of that. You know, a lot of people used to watch me, or uh, uh, in school, you know, some of the guys, uh, football players, because I was so small, and I had a big reputation. They want to go in the park and challenge me, and, and the whole school will come. Even some of the teachers would love to come because I would never, <laughs> I would never. I would never hurt the guy. I would just make fun of him and jump over him, trip him, take him down, um, throw a kick and stop it right in front of his face. And he would try to punch me, and I would be slipping, moving. I, 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 you know, to me, I was I was just I was just having fun. Yeah. Because there was there was never a threat to me. And some of these guys, you know, um, they would be so embarrassed and so mad. That you know, because they couldn't hit me, they couldn't grab me. Even these football players would try to tackle me, and I was a really good judo man to begin with. So uh, it didn't matter how big, you know. When it came to warfare, to me, I just had fun. I just had fun with it. So uh, being in front of a camera, um, I didn't even look at. I didn't even notice the camera anyway. You know, it's interesting that you say that because. We're going to talk about one of your most famous fights now, but uh, before I talk about that, when I watched you on screen, one of the things that I always noticed was that you were always the fighter that seemed most grounded uh, and most realistic, I guess, for a lack of a better term, even though it was a, a movie. And the way that you moved and the way that you reacted always seemed like you were a guy that would actually fight this way if he were on the streets. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, uh, to me, I, I've always connected to my, my mother taught me that to learn how to connect to people and connect to, to connect to their thoughts. Because every thought has a frequency, and every word has a vibration. So even the energies of the body, I was I was raised that way from my mother. So I always knew. You know, no matter who I connected with, eh, and I, I just connected with the person, eh, and and connected to his his energy, and kind of playing a uh, playing a game of ping pong back and forth with his energy. Yeah. And it's like it was it was so natural for me. It was mm. I never had to think about it. Just it's just something that I've done. Just something was natural. Something that I I thought everybody did, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody that you connected very well with on screen, particularly for the Wheels on Meals fight, was Jackie Chan, right? Uh, yes. And people to this day call that fight one of the most influential on-screen fights ever. I mean, Jackie Chan himself said that uh, he, uh, because of our efforts, I'm, and I'm quoting him here, we brought out the best in each other in our memorable fight scenes in Wheels on Meals, right? Uh, now. It. What do you think it was about that fight that makes it so unique and memorable to people even to this day? Because Jackie, when I when I first uh, met him, he sized me up and down. He had about 30, 20, 30 guys, uh, stuntmen around him and this and that. And he, and he heard about me. That's why he wanted me on the movie, uh, me being the champions and so forth. And so he wanted to see how good am I? So he would put a, a, a pad on to and have one of his stunt guys hold it, and I and he was and he would point to it like and, and so he would tell his one of the guys uh, to interpret his interpreter. To, he wanted me to kick it, and I said for real, 
And he said, yeah. And I said, how hard? And he said, uh, so he, uh, so the interpreter told him, you know, he wanted me to kick it hard to see if I can actually do what I what he heard me I can do. So I kicked this pad with this guy holding it up against his chest. I kicked it so hard. He flew, I mean, I threw him on his back He and I took the air out of him. And so Jackie looked at me and gave me thumbs up like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and so then Jackie Chan does some moves and then he points to me like, okay, so I did some moves. And so there was a hallway and he did round off. He did flip flop, flip flop, flip flop all the way down this hallway. And then he's at the end and then he points his fingers toward me and he brings them toward me like, okay, let me see you. So I did. And as I did round off and I did flip flop, flip flop, flip flop. I crashed into the walls about maybe the eighth time or seventh uh, time I, I ended up crashing into the walls. And, uh, and I was telling his, and I said, I'm not a gymnast. I said, I can do this, but that's not, I'm not a gymnast. And so after that, him and his, uh, his team will choreograph something, and then he'll point to me. So I'll choreograph my own. And he says, I'll do this. The interpreter says, he's going to do this. What are you going to do? And I saw, I said, so I took one of his stunt guys, and I said, okay, I'll do this, this, and this. And then Jackie Chan got his team together. And they came back to me and said, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. What are you going to do? And I said, okay, I'll do this. So I was already, I figured, you know, doing this was easy for me because I was already doing exhibitions in the street with a live audience. So this was, to me, it was like playing, <laughs> you know. And, and I, you know, I to me, I was just playing out there. And I was just having fun. And so Jackie Chan we started to do some choreography here and then we went to we ended up in spain and so he would choreograph okay and and we would look at an alley and this is where they want to shoot it in the alley and this and that he would bring his team and do something and so they would show me and then i would come in and we'll call and then jackie chan and i we started choreographing some moves that I mean, we were just out doing each other, man. I would, I would, yeah. okay, you're going to do that? All right, I'll do this. Then. And I would bring out something off the wall. And then he, his team will come back and, and shoot me something off the wall. And then he started hitting hard. So I told his um, interpreter, I said, does he want to go hard? Because he's, hit, he's hitting me pretty hard. So is that what, is that what he wants to do? And, and so Jackie Chan pushed his thumbs up. I said, okay. So I went up, I kicked him with a spinning back kick. Even though he had pads on, he went down, he went, oh, man, he couldn't, he couldn't breathe. I t took his air out of him with the pads on. And so all the stuntmen were getting mad at me. And I told him, I said, well, he said he wants to go hard. I said, I told the interpreter, tell him if that's what he wants. He wants to go hard. I said, I'll go hard with him. I fight for a living. I said, is, that, is that's what he wants to do? I'll go hard with him. And... <laughs> So we started going hard and this and that, but, but then he would put his hands like, calm down a little bit, bring it down a little bit. He, in other words, he wanted me to hit him, but not as hard. Sure. So I said, okay. But then he started with golf gloves. He started hitting me in the face with them, with golf gloves. <laughs> and I said, and my face was swollen, so they would give me ice and to bring it down. And I'm looking at him, I said, okay, if you start hitting me again like that, I, I was telling the interpreter, I said, if you, I just tell him, if he wants to hit me like that, I said, that's okay. I said, I'm okay. You can hit me like wow. that, but this is a give and take situation. Sure. 
and we went at it and we had a blast and then he would sit next to me so close to me put his arm around me and i never had anybody that close to me uh, you know uh, a male you know and he was there he wanted to talk he wanted to he wanted to uh, practice his english and i mean he practically sitting on my laps and i'm saying hey i'm getting uncomfortable now i said jackie and i said can you sit across from me and talk i said you're sitting right practically on my laps you know but we had a blast and, and we awesome. became so close that, and every time after we eat, we eat lunch, we go out to play soccer. All of us, man, oh, we nice. out there playing soccer. We just, it was a blast. And so, so we understood the first, you know, Mills on Way, we understood each other. And I mean, certain times, I mean, I went and I stopped it right in his face. And he looked at me and he would go, oh, and put thumbs up like, thank you. Because he, he <laughs> moved the wrong way. He moved right into my hand, and I, and I had very good control. And, I mean, we, we beat the crap out of each other, but we loved it. And the second film we filmed... Dragons Forever. Yeah, we stood on... We slept on the set, on chairs, him and I. Got up, washed up, got dressed, and we went at it. We, I mean, that that's the kind of... Uh, we became so close friends. That's what we did. We just, hey, we didn't care. We, you know. Sure. We didn't about, care about going to hotel. Man. We slept on right on the set. <laughs> but we, Jackie Chan, we became very close friends and uh, beautiful soul. And let me tell you, I tell you, if he wanted to actually fight for real, this, you know what? Jackie can really do it. Yeah. He had that kind of heart. You know, I don't, I don't know about being a title holder, but I tell you what, he had that kind of heart, man. He can actually, uh, he would actually do it for real. And uh, that's what I admired about him, that he... Uh, he was willing to go hard. That fight scene, again, for Wheels on Meals, as we said before, super influential. There's a really talented filmmaker uh, who works in Hollywood now, Emmanuel Manzanares, and he got together with Mickey Facinello, uh, a brilliant actor and uh, stunt person, and Brendan Hoare, and they recreated that Wheels on Meals scene shot for shot and they did a fantastic job with it it really looks amazing um i'm gonna send you the link so you can take a look at it when you can but that's the kind of thing that that fight scene has done where people you know filmmakers today are still paying homage to it yeah that's what they that's that's what they have told me you're clearly not slowing down you're still doing speaking tours you're training you're teaching and you're going to be in the martial arts kid 2 a project with uh, don the dragon wilson and cynthia rothrock both previous guests of mine and what can you tell us about your role well you know what um to tell you the truth uh i can't talk about it right now okay uh but uh i work with so many actors and then especially in the martial arts you know i've trained so many you know back in the 70s you know and uh 79 and 80s and uh, they all they all came richard norton they all came and trained with me way back then to this day nothing's changed for me Maybe I got a little gray hair and this and that, but <laughs> as far as when it comes to the action part, I can still do what I was doing at 20. I can do it right now. Nothing's changed. Wow, really? You know, nothing's changed. I'm still doing what I was doing back then. I'm, you know, my wife and I, we still get up at, you know, at five in the morning. We run, we run five, uh, five miles. We, we still try I train throughout the day. Uh, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed right now. Just, uh, you know, creating a whole new line of equipment. Because it's the fighting has changed, so I changed equipment. When I designed chin guards and Valco girls back then, back in the uh, early 70s, 73, 74, I, you know, I, they have not changed the equipment. They're still the same. So I designed a whole 
new equipment that will change the way people fight and the way people train. It will change because most people are getting hurt in the gym. Actors are getting hurt in the, while they're practicing and so forth. So I created, you know, uh, equipment that will, for instance, the headgear. You get hit with a headgear on, it's still going to jar your head. Maybe it stops you from getting cut or bruised, but you're still going to get jarred and you're you know, still, still going to ring your, your bell. But I created equipment for, for preventive sports injuries because today the fighting has changed. All the way up until uh, 95 was my last fight. Uh, then mixed martial arts came in because there was no more kickboxers, heroes to keep kickboxing going. And so everybody started to become mixed martial arts. Everybody's doing um, MMA, mixed martial arts from 95 to two, 2000 and then ring, you know, cage fighting. It took off. It went, it went like gangbusters. So the fighting's changed. But what happened is you got a lot of people coming from, from wrestling backgrounds, coming, you know, tough man contest uh, backgrounds and stuff. They don't have the Bushido background. There's a code of honor between warriors and they, they lost that because they didn't come, they didn't learn the code of honor. They didn't learn that, that, uh, that, that code that you would have with, between warriors. And so in cage fighting, it kind of got lost. And the art kind of got lost, and it became a tough man contest. And you had to have a strong jaw, a lot of heart. And so they know just enough to, you know, be dangerous to themselves. There's a handful that are that were very, very good in the beginning of cage fighting. They were still doing technique, and they were really doing well. And then all of a sudden, it became less uh, technique. It became, it became a tackle. You know, get to the ground and ground and pound, you know. And uh, to me, there's no honor in ground and pound, but, but that's the way it is. So in the street, that's what it was. You took somebody to the ground, you pound until he couldn't, couldn't go no more. But there was no honor in that. It was about a tough man contest. It was about, you know, uh, surviving, you know. It was about yeah. defending yourself, but but not to that extent. All right. Well, I mean, uh, it, you're doing uh, all of this stuff uh, still. One basic question, where do you get all of this energy to keep going and keep innovating and keep changing things up? You know, it's, first of all, for the love of it, I love it, first of all. That's the only reason why I do it, because I love it. Second of all, I keep reinventing myself because the fight game and uh, the art is changed. Every decade, I has changed the art even Yukitokan, I have changed as we go. As we go, so the equipment I changed equipment to go with this type of uh, training, this type of warfare. So I just keep reinventing myself. You know, every decade I reinvent myself. New technique, new ideas, new, new, new better ways of uh, control on the ground. You know, learning how to relax better uh, emotionally because eighty percent of it is mental. 20% of it is physical, 99.9.9% of the rest of that is internal, which is emotional. It's which everybody hides until you're threatened. And when you're threatened, everything you hide on your bed will come up. All right, so where can my audience go to continue to follow uh, your development and your evolution? Well, you know, I just created a whole new website this right now, Benajet, you know, uh, Benajet.com. You can go on uh, and... You can uh, see my new website that I'm, I'm coming up with, but it would be a way where people can come and uh, interact with me. But I will be doing 
I'll be teach I'll be teaching on their food for thought, you know, uh, um, things that you can think about in your life, just everyday life. It's almost like, okay, what do you do when you get up in the morning? You know, so for myself, my first thing that I do, my eyes uh, open up. First of all, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I have this day that I can do the things I love doing and be with people I love being with. But I say it out loud so I can hear myself say that I'm thankful that I have this day. So I live in the moment of today. And they say, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? I said, I'm doing it. No, 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 tomorrow. I said, I'm doing it. What I'm doing today, if my eyes open up, I'll be doing it again tomorrow. So being in the moment of today means I have no regrets. I will not regret the day. If my maker should come for me, I will not regret it because I lived it to the fullest. And so this is where I'm at at this point. So I started a whole new website and where people can follow and have food for thought, first of all. Give them something to think about their life, in their life, because the power is in the journey, not your destiny of where you're going. It's in the journey. It's like a roller coaster ride of emotions, up and down, up and down. And it's how you work with them, how you heal them. Everybody, everybody that's going upward, everybody's oh yeah, it's a great part. Then when they're going down, it's like oh my god, you know. Here, you know, I lost this, I lost that, I'm not this, I don't have this no more, I don't have no more work. I, every, they don't know how to heal it going downward. So to be in the moment of today means understand that today is truly where your journey begins. When the moment you open up your eyes until the time you close your eyes, hey, what you get a chance to do is your experience is your riches. Through all, you see, people think my house, my car, my, you know, and all this as my riches, my money. I said, that's not my riches. My experience of knowing is my riches. That's what I'm taking with me. And they, and they say, you can't take your house with me. I said, well, if that's your riches, so be it. My riches is my experience of knowing. Well, how do you know? Been there, done that. I know. I only teach for my knowing. I don't teach about something I read or something I saw or somebody told me. I teach about what I know to be true, what is true, because been there, I've done that. So this is where I'm at at this point in time of my life. Fantastic. That was food for thought, this entire uh, recording. Thank you so much for sitting and talking with us. You were an inspiration decades ago in your film and your martial arts career. You continue to be an inspiration today, and I know you will be an inspiration for, for many, many more people in years to come. Sensei Benny, the Jet Yukides, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk with me here on the show. I wish you the very best, sir, and blessings to you and your wife and your family and all of your friends. Thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Thank you. What an honor it was to hear these stories from the Jet himself. Much thanks to Sensei Benny Yukides for setting aside some time to share his wealth of knowledge and experience with me. I hope you guys enjoyed that because I definitely did. I want to say thanks too to Sensei Benny's wife, Sarah, and to Venus, who helped set all this up. Ladies, thank you so much for all of your help. If you want to continue to follow Sensei Benny, head over to his new site, BennyTheJet.com. You can check out events he'll be attending, shop for some awesome merch, and you can also start your YukitaCon training with a whole online course, so that link will be in the show notes if you want to give it a go. You can also follow him on Instagram at RealBennyTheJet and on Facebook as well. While you're there, you can follow the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. It's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but... If you shun social media, feel free to email me at kungfudriving at gmail.com. Now, if you listen to the show and enjoy it on 
Apple Podcasts, please consider giving the show a five-star rating or review because every little bit helps keep the show growing. All right, so while this may be the end of this episode, I'm going to leave you with this bit of food for thought from Sensei Benny himself, and that is, my work begins now. Go check out his videos on Facebook to see what that means, and until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. See the iron fisted bunk before the daily prayers Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan, now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless Aida roaming over the land Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older than wiser He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to graze jars Fight for the cars, then pass, hear the applause Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good, but boards don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back the Tai Chi master, jelly's even faster Could chat a little drink because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine But see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang-Chi movies will the hero will survive We've got the brave archer make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight, may as well pick the spot Yeah the sky goes black, cut the vampires back We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all to so stand back He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah Wing Chun Shaolin and Mantis style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch you run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war, we we'll smash the place up with a dragon claw. See, it's a game of death, yo, you're facing the big boss. It's once upon a time in China, counting the TikTok. The shogun assassin slashing blood just drip drop. The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop. Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins. He's got Irma just in yellow, but she is in the dragon, but in the tea rooms. That's where it'll happen. She got the bodies on the floor, when the blood it'll splatter against the walls. No fear at all, to kill them all. There's always blood spill when you head into a war. Fearless, Unleashed. The fist of legend that the car gently I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a